This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. It's another edition of the Breakfast with Benz podcast here at the Fans First Network on Trib Live. Tim Benz with you, getting set for the Steelers and the Niners. Game one of the 2023 season at Acrisure Stadium. And joining us right now to look at things from a San Francisco perspective. He's been a broadcaster in the Bay Area for a long time now and a real good one at that. Play-by-play man for ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. He's also a host at 95.7 The Game. From time to time, uh, you can catch him on Sirius XM as well. He's Roxy Bernstein. Roxy, it's great to catch up with you again. Long time no speak, and uh, good to talk some football with you. How are you? Tim, I am great. It's always good to catch up with you. Roxy, at some point in the conversation, we're going to have to talk about the Pac-12 situation and your Cal Bears coming to the ACC to play Pitt and all the other schools, the Atlantic Coast Conference, that odd merger that's developed but let's start with the NFL and let's start with the game on Sunday at Acrisure Stadium Steelers and Niners at one o'clock Eastern and I can tell you that here in Pittsburgh people have been tracking with great interest a lot of news out of San Francisco knowing for months now that this game was going to be the first one on the calendar for the Steelers everybody's been taking in any news they can find about Nick Bosa's contract situation, whether or not he's going to be ready to play by the time the game starts on Sunday, if they're going to get a new deal hammered out. Uh, People now hearing about George Kittle's injury, whether or not he's going to be available. How is Brock Purdy's elbow healing from the offseason surgery? Everybody was tracking the quarterback situation there. Until that got ironed out, it was clear that Purdy was going to be the starter and Lance got traded. All this stuff that's been going on with the Niners... Has it been a distraction at all in San Francisco? I think it's been a little bit of a distraction, certainly. And there is some concern with the 49ers heading into this game because, let's face it, the defensive player of the year right now is not in the fold. Um, I think that's the more concerning issue for the 49ers, Tim, right now. Than uh, George Kittle was on the practice field yesterday, Tuesday, they're off. Um, but he was out there working out. He's got an adductor strain, whatever they're calling it, groin, whatever you want to say it is. Um, we'll see how his status is affected for Sunday. But the biggest concern for the 49ers is right now there is no Nick Bosa. And by all reports, the two sides are not close, Bosa's representation and 49ers GM John Lynch. Um, there are ongoing conversations. Um, is there a chance he could play Sunday? I, I think there is. Uh, but certainly he'd have to be in camp really quickly for that to happen. But you're talking about one of the dominant players in the game. And the 49ers defense is built around Nick Bosa. And to not have him on Sunday I think would be a huge loss for the 49ers and a huge boost for the Steelers going into the game. Pittsburgh fans are quick to remember that T.J. Watt went through something similar a couple years ago got his name on the dotted line, 
just in time to get a few practices in before going to Buffalo, and he was the most dominant force on the field against the Bills with no practice or preseason. The difference is it was a hold-in versus a hold-out. Um, how about folks in San Francisco? Are they kind of using that or clinging to that as an analogy to keep things optimistic about what Bosa could be if he does sign shortly before the Steelers game? I think that's part of it, and they can use that. But the other thing is, Tim, is Nick Bosa keeps himself in unbelievable, just phenomenal shape. And according to him and people around him, he's physically ready to go. Now, it's one thing to be in physical shape. It's another thing to be in game shape because he hasn't been in camp working out with his teammates. Now, he's been doing stuff on the side. He's going to be ready to go whenever he does sign. The 49ers are not going to consider trading him. That question has been floated to John Lynch. That is not going to happen. But when you look at the Niners' defense and the depth chart heading into this game, nothing against Drake Jackson or Cleveland Furl or Kerry Hyder Jr., they're not Nick Bosa. And I think that severely alters the way the 49ers play, to be honest with you. You have a new defensive coordinator that Steve Wilkes comes in. He was with the Panthers last year as the D.C., then he became the interim head coach as he takes over for D'Amico Ryans. Um, and I, and it's funny because in the past, this was a team that didn't blitz very much because they didn't have to when you have a guy like Bosa. Without Bosa and you're devising a game plan, I wonder if you're doing one with him and without him to prepare for this game because if you don't have him, I think the 49ers have to blitz a little bit more if they're going to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, now, Steve Wilkes has said this is a team that will blitz more this year, uh, and he blitzed often one of the top blitzing teams when he was with Carolina. And I would imagine they would have to do it a little bit more this weekend if they do not have Bosa in the lineup. To that end, for the Niners this season, and maybe for the moment I'll expand the conversation beyond just this weekend against the Steelers, but how far does this stretch for him? I mean, is this something that could conceivably go on all year? I mean, if it's one game, could it be 17? Or is there a potential end in sight for either side? My guess is cooler heads will prevail at some point. If it's not the next couple days, I wouldn't think this would drag on very long. Now, I think Bosa has a lot of leverage in this situation, Tim, because he knows how desperately the 49ers need him. And the one thing the 49ers are concerned with is it could really upset the salary structure in their locker room. And I think that's their biggest fear, that if they commit a ton of guaranteed money to Bosa, it could affect them down the line in terms of not being able to keep some of their really key players. Um, they were aggressive in the offseason in signing Javon Hargrave to bring him in from the Eagles to plug in in a defensive front right in the middle along with Eric Armstead. But the concern is that the structure for their salaries could get out of whack if they cave in and give a significant piece to Bosa. Um, but again, both sides aren't apart or are pretty far apart, and I think Bosa's got some pretty good leverage right now with the 49ers. In talking about what they are without him, you brought it up, they might have to blitz more. Who does that? Who provides that pressure, and what's sacrificed there? I mean, I know they got... Lots of talent at linebacker and safety. Maybe you can tell me how Gibson's doing with his injury. Um, I know they've got players there, but what gets sacrificed if they do blitz? Well, you're going to have to live by the blitz and die by the blitz if you're going to do it. 
and you have to commit to it. And I think they will. Um, there's some key guys. You mentioned Gibson. Talano Hufanga has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. Uh, he's a guy that the Niners have, when they have blitzed in the past, they've brought Hufanga, who has a really good job of getting to the quarterback, um, maybe a Dre Greenlaw. But for the 49ers defensively, look, the Steelers' offensive line is going to have to pay a lot of attention up the middle to Hargrave and to Armstead. With the way those two, I don't know if there's a better tandem in the NFL now that from the interior of the defensive line can rush the quarterback. So that is one area I think the 49ers can really lean on heading in. So if they're going to blitz, it's going to pay a lot of attention to the middle of the line, can open up the perimeter for the 49ers. And look, Drake Jackson's a solid pass rusher. Cleveland Furrow was drafted high by the Raiders for a reason. And Kerry Hyder does a good job of getting to the quarterback. So those guys can work on the outside. There's good pressure up the middle. This is a talented defense, even without Bosa, but certainly with Bosa, you're talking about maybe the premier defense in the NFL. So Hargrave's looking good so far out there, huh? Yeah. I mean, look, this is, they brought him in for a specific reason, to plug up the middle. Um, it, it's been a, a sore subject for the 49ers the last few years since they made those changes up front in the middle. They shifted Armstead in the middle, which has worked out. But you're plugging in one of the premier defensive linemen in the game, and they committed a lot of money. When you're paying $84 million over four years for Hargrave, that was uh, not necessarily a luxury item the Niners figured they just wanted to do, they needed to do. Roxy Bernstein with us, play-by-play man for ESPN, ESPN Radio on the Pac-12 Network. You can listen to him at 95.7 The Game and Sirius XM as well. Roxy, let's get to the other side of the ball, with and without Kittle, because I know so much of what the Niners do well, and it's been a talking point in the Steelers' locker room this week already, is they can deploy him and Juszczyk and McCaffrey and Ayuk and Debo, and they can put those five guys out there as just skilled guys the whole game, and people still don't know what's coming. Um, the personnel package is open to whatever because of their varying skill sets. If Kittle is subtracted from that equation, how do they adjust? Is it just next man up at tight end, or do they do things differently in that context? I, I think it's next man up at tight end. Now, you're not going to see the impact that Kittle would have on a defense from the likes of you know Charlie Warner or Ross Dwelly. They're okay. They're competent, Tim, but they're not George Kittle. But the Niners have those weapons. You mentioned them. Ayuk, Debo, and the versatility that Debo and McCaffrey have. And then Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, to use him in the passing game as well. That's the tough thing. Is What Kyle Shanahan's really good at doing is finding those matchups and capitalizing on it and taking advantage of it and using the versatility of guys with Debo and McCaffrey. Because let's face it, who in the NFL can match up with those guys? It, with the things that they can do, and the, the, the yards after the catch from Ayuk and Debo are another thing that you have to factor in. So with the Niners offense, look, Brock Purdy looks great. He's ready to go. Uh, coming back from the torn UCL, they feel confident in his ability. My biggest concern, Tim, with the Niners offense is their offensive line. And that, I think, is something to keep an eye on heading into this game and throughout the season for the 49ers. Yes, you have maybe the best left tackle in the game in Trent Williams. But what else on the offensive line makes you feel pretty good? You lost Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle. There is limited experience with that group. That is a concern 
for me, and I think a lot of people who covered and watched the 49ers, is the offensive line because at times it struggled last year, and now you take away a guy that's been a fixture on the right side, the from the left guard over to the right tackle, I think there's major question marks. What's the book on McKivitz, and if they help him out with a tight end or a back chipping on Watt, I imagine Williams can handle himself with Highsmith, even though Highsmith's a good player. To your point about the rest of the offensive line, how's the interior? Is this a chance for Cam Hayward or Keanu Benton, the rookie from Wisconsin, Ogan Joby? Is this a chance for those guys on the interior for the Steelers to really eat? There's potential for that, yeah. And I expect him to test, you know, Jake Brendel, the center, uh, Spencer Burford, the right guard, Aaron Banks, at left guard. They're going to get tested in this game. And I also think McKivitz will get tested. And if, if I'm the Steelers, that's what I'm doing, right? Because we know how good the left tackle is. Well, what about the other guys on that line? And you could see uh, maybe the Niners going with a little bit of a quicker passing game, uh, trying to get the ball out from Purdy quicker than maybe normal, not just to take some of the pressure off of him, especially if Kittle's not there, but also to try to counteract that and help protect that question mark on the offensive line. This is a group that was okay during camp. They didn't look great. Now, we didn't see Trent Williams much, if at all, in the preseason. And let's face it, what does he need to, what does he need to prove? You've got to keep him healthy for game one, and that's what Kyle Shanahan's goal was. But there's some question marks. There's some untested guys on that line, and I would fully anticipate the Steelers trying to give them some different looks to confuse the offensive line especially when you're talking about up the middle, what you were alluding to. Last thing for you on the Niners, Roxy. Again, Roxy Bernstein with us. Purdy, are you a believer that his elbow is 100% better? And are you a believer that last year wasn't just a fluke and that he can still be the guy at quarterback? Yeah, I think there's enough of a sample size that this is not a fluke. And did he come out of nowhere? He absolutely did. The 49ers expect this? No way. And they'd be lying to you if they saw that this potential in him. Now they did draft him, and he, you know, seventh round pick, but he went five and zero in the regular season, took him to the NFC Championship game, and then unfortunately got hurt. He had, you know, not the full repair, but he had the the brace procedure on the elbow. But and he still had them one win away from their eighth Super Bowl appearance. Um, so Purdy proved that he's the real deal. Now, is he going to be among the elite quarterbacks? Is he a Mahomes? Is, you know, is he a Herbert? Is he a Fields? No, he's not. But I think he's, he's certainly competent with the things that he can do. And the way he runs this offense of what Kyle Shannon asks of him. And they think so much of him that they were willing to make that trade. That, you know, with Trey Lance sending him to Dallas, they're high on Sam Darnold. They say he's looked great throughout camp, and he is the backup. But they're all in with Brock Purdy, and they're believers that they have found their quarterback of the future. So looking forward to those cold-weather ACC games for football? <laughs> Boy, wait, I can't wait for Pitt to make that cross-country journey, right? I mean, it's, look, it's it, the landscape of what's yeah, going I, on. I know you've sad. been to Syracuse in November. I know oh, you yeah. know what that's like, and Chestnut Hill for that matter. <laughs> It, it's it, Tim, it's sad what has happened. First off, as a Cal alum and a guy that worked on the radio for a long time, 
I am ecstatic they found a landing spot. And I think it's great that they're in the ACC because I think the schools fit one another with Cal and Stanford joining the likes of great public universities like Pitt, like North Carolina, Virginia, um, Duke certainly uh, has that kinship with Stanford being the private school, certainly a Notre Dame. But when you look at a map, I want someone to explain to me how this makes sense, right? When at currently the ACC landscape, the furthest schools west are Notre Dame and Louisville. And they're in the same conference as Cal and Stanford, which are about 2,000 miles away. But from a Cal standpoint, Tim, they needed a place to go, right? The Big Ten may have been a better fit. The Big 12 was not necessarily an option. Stanford turned that down. So they needed a place to go. Luckily, the ACC throws them a lifeline. And here they are next year joining the ACC and get ready for that new football power in Duke. <laughs> After what we saw the other night, um, I think in the long run, we might be making a little bit too much of it out of football. Like, I think football will just kind of be a West and an East division, something geographically aligned. I don't know what this is going to do for basketball, but, but I guess I'm not supposed to ask because all anybody cares about is football anyway. That's the unfortunate thing is this is all about football and everything else, basketball included. Is is an afterthought, and and in the ACC and in the ACC, Roxy, it's basically two teams where that matters for Florida State when they're good and Clemson, maybe Miami, yeah, maybe Miami whenever they're good. But that's probably why you know Clemson and Florida State were against this, that they didn't want Cal and Stanford to come in, and luckily for Cal and Stanford and SMU, NC State flipped. And they were the team that was able to get that 12th yes vote to allow Cal and Stanford to come. Uh, look, it's going to make for some late nights. Certainly Pac-12 after dark took on a life <laughs> of its own out here. Well, now we're going to have ACC, I guess, after midnight. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, ACC tomorrow morning is what we'll call it. <laughs> what about the non-revenue sports? What about like the softballs and uh, you know the volleyballs and things of that nature? How is that going to work? Are they just not going to play anything all that far east? Again, will it be sort of a divisional reliance to keep travel down? What are they going to do there? See, I don't know how you do that and avoid the trips out west. I mean, the Cal Chancellor, Carol Chris, recently talked about it right after the announcement. And she said that, oh, there's potential plans to meet up in Dallas so that we could limit the travel. I don't see that as a realistic possibility, to be honest with you. Because, look, if I'm a parent of a volleyball player, a softball player, a baseball player, whatever soccer, whatever sport you want to throw out there, I, I, I want to make it easy to go see my kid play. And, and if I'm living in the Bay Area or somewhere in California and I want to see a Cal home game, why do I want to get on a plane to go to Dallas to see that? And the same thing could be said for the ACC parents, right, that – that they don't want to have to get on a plane all the time to do it. Um, we'll see how this shakes out. And look, Cal Stanford sacrificed, and SMU did taking limited to no revenue. I can't believe for the that. short term <laughs> on the deal. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, I you mentioned Notre Dame, and and out here in Pittsburgh, I do some play by play. Certainly not to the same level that you do, but I, I do play by play for the Robert Morris hockey team. Robert Morris is in six different conferences. 
right now for its athletics. <laughs> Notre Dame has the hockey team in the Big Ten. It's independent for football. All its other sports are in the ACC. Why can't it work that way for the rest of the college landscape? Like, why can't we have all that money earned by the football institutions and then have it trickle down to the universities and the conferences to fund a more logical way to do all the other sports? Like, I'm ready to just say, okay, college football, you do your own thing. And then if, as a Syracuse alum, if Syracuse is in the ACC football and they reform the Big East for basketball, I'm fine with that. Notre Dame's been doing that for decades. Um, the smaller schools are doing it all over the country. What's, what's wrong with that? Why can't that work? That's a very good question, Tim. And you would think smarter minds than the two of us could figure that out because it doesn't make sense. Look, what also doesn't make sense this is all this money that the networks are shelling out for these left, these Pac-12 teams that have left, yet there isn't that money for these teams to stay together and we keep it regionalized as much as possible. There, there are so many questions that we have, and it just, and I can just keep coming back to it. None of this makes sense. Right, that UCLA and Rutgers are in the same conference. Oh, you have Arizona and Central Florida. West Virginia and Arizona State are in the same league. Tell me how this makes sense, but unfortunately, it's our reality now. And this is what we're faced with. Until, look, I do believe at some point, Chip Kelly recently had a great point or suggestion that the power conference college football team should break away. And yes, do their own thing. Exactly. And schedule is independence. And everything else could go back to their regional matchups and yep. leagues. That makes so much sense. And yet, this is the system we currently have. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm of that school of thought. All right, Roxy, thanks a lot, man. I, I guess we'll see you here soon for football and basketball then. Yes, sir. Pit is it, right? <laughs> Roxy Bernstein, play-by-play man for ESPN. You can listen to him at 95.7 The Game out in the Bay Area. And uh, he's joining us here at the Breakfast with Ben's podcast today. Thanks to him and all of his insight on Steelers and Niners coming up on Sunday. Listen to me, 9 a.m. at Akershire Stadium, just outside of it, actually, at Stage AE for the DVE pregame show. And be listening all week here on the Fans First Network, Breakfast with Ben's.